Kia ora, good morning everybody. Uh, do you realise this is the last Sunday of the decade? Man, crazy isn't it? Now I'm old enough to remember how I was looking forward to the rollover of the millennium and this last 20 years, a fifth of the century is ripped by. <laughs> now, some of you folks over here, you're a nappies, I know, I appreciate that. Or maybe we're just, a, a, as I say, a twinkle in somebody's eye. But um, what we are already anticipating is next, the next decade, 2020. I wonder how many puns we're going to have over that eh? 2020 vision of the coming year. So I just sort of put it out there and uh, apologise for it before we even begin the year. Well, um, this morning we begin our summer series, which is a nice way of saying we're just going to do whatever we feel is right. Um, and as much as the, the weeks that are ahead of us, the next five weeks, um, myself and a couple others are going to bring messages that, just really messages that are on our heart for this season. And so I felt that it was really important for us to be able to say, um, really just take a, a stock take, if you like, of the condition of our soul as we roll into the new year. Now, a business will take a stock take, won't it? When it stops at any given moment and accounts for literally the stock in hand, the things that are in the shelves or uh, in the shop that are ready to be sold, uh, or where it is financially, the, the, the business, and in that moment you say, hey, here we are right now, this is our, our current situation. And so a stock take for us as Christians is a stock take of the soul. It's an opportunity to say, in this moment, where am I, what's going on, and how am I doing with my relationship with God? You see, the thing about our relationship with God is it's not something we do at a distance. It's not something that we stand off and measure with a whole lot of mathematical measurements. Stock take of your soul is all about how you are doing with God. Christian faith is, is personal, not impersonal. It's, uh, it's interactive. It's happening in you, within your mind, within your heart at any given time. It's not a philosophy where we just simply think about things of God and leave it out there. Uh, if we start doing that, we quickly go cold. Our faith becomes intellectual. We can easily go down that track of becoming cynical because we live in a broken world. But what we're doing here today is we're stopping and we're saying, let's, let's make this thing count. And to, to do that, um, I want to look at this, this subject, which is at the very core of the Christian message, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a, a fascinating subject, not because it's the, just the core of the gospel, but it's part of what's needed to survive in a broken world. You see, the world that we live in was not originally created to, live, to be in the state that it is in. Uh, what I mean by that is that this world was created perfect. We were created to live for eternity in a perfect world. But when sin entered the world, uh, there was something that we weren't equipped to deal with that arrived, and that is sin. And sin, part of sin is uh, when people hurt you, and then you've got to learn how to handle that. That's a real challenge, isn't it? Now, the human body, if you like, would uh, probably benefit if it had a, a third kidney that dealt with sin. Okay, so when you get hurt, when someone lets you down, you could say, okay, okay, this has happened, and then you go to bed, and you wake up in the morning, and your third kidney has processed all of those, that hurt and pain, and it's now gone. Wouldn't that be good? Think about it for a second. It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? We wouldn't suffer anger, frustration, bitterness, 
the long, long memories of how people have hurt us. Now, of course, naturally, we, our bodies take care of things that are not necessarily good for us. Um, there might be some bacteria in the food that you eat, uh, particularly around this time of year, because what happens is mum says, I've cooked enough food, you can eat that salad. I know it's been in the fridge for four days, but I'm not cooking any more food, and there it is. If you want to eat, there it is. That's when your kidneys kick in, you see, and your liver. That's why it's called a liver. It helps you live. Okay, live through Christmas. Okay, so if we had a third kidney that helped us through uh, anger, frustration, bitterness, and particularly this whole thing of unforgiveness, or forgiveness, our need to forgive, we'd be way better off for it. But we don't. In fact, we live in a world that is increasingly infatuated with not forgiving. You thought about that? You see... The power in today's society wrapped up in social media is to be offended. If I can be offended, I claim power over you because you hurt me. And my emotions in that are so important that uh, all I have to do is claim that you've hurt me and therefore I have power over you. Now, I'm not talking about things that are really, really important. You know, the, the Me Too movement with respect to sexual abuse and the power that uh, men had taken over women over literally centuries, uh, that's been confronted, and that's a really important thing to confront. I'm not talking about that sort of offence, but I'm talking about when people say the wrong thing in the wrong place in the wrong time and somebody gets upset about it, okay? And on that basis, I'd like us to look at some, some scripture that comes from the Sermon of the Mount that will initiate this talk about forgiveness today. You've heard that it was said, and I need to read from here. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is a really unusual piece of advice, isn't it? Okay, it comes from Jesus, so it's good advice, it's important advice, it's advice to live by. But we don't simply apply this to someone who is abusing you. Okay, so that's why I want to be right up front. You know, if you're in a situation where uh, there's violence against you, uh, manipulation against you, uh, that is called sin to the point of it being a crime, and you need to name it for what it is. However, what Jesus is describing here is an alternative way of doing life. It's saying that, he is saying that life doesn't have to be lived out of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay? If you live life like that, even Mahatma Gandhi said if we uh, take an eye for an eye, the whole world will soon be blind. Okay? So what Jesus is saying here is that this is an alternative way in which we do life. And we, we stop violence we stop anger, we stop that continual uh, return of violence for violence. In, uh, in Papua New Guinea and other places in that area, uh, the system is called payback. Okay, payback. You, you never stop the cycle of violence, you never stop the, stop the cycle of retribution. It's just an ongoing cycle called payback. Now, the fascinating thing about Papua New Guinea is that before the Christians arrived and 
allowed for reconciliation and forgiveness to begin, these tribes were so isolated because of payback, they were perpetually at war. There were 743 known language groups in Papua New Guinea, 743. And they're not just dialects of one another, they are completely different, completely different. And yet they might only live as far away from, as uh, say Bethlehem is to, to Puna, to, to Tauriko, okay? Why? Because of unforgiveness, because of bitterness, and cre creates isolation. So when the Christian message comes along and says, uh, hey, listen, this is all about forgiveness and reconciliation, it completely alters the world. And the only way that world can be altered is that somebody takes a hit. Yeah, Somebody takes a hit. Somewhere along the line, someone's got to say, you've offended me, but I'm not going to strike you back. See how that works? All of a sudden, the cycle stops. And even Jesus, <clears throat> at the time when he was being crucified, he said, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. You know, he was saying, even though these folks are doing their worst to me, he wasn't going to invoke or provoke uh, some form of retribution by his disciples upon those who, um, those who killed him. And so what we're seeing here in the Christian world is that it stops here. It stops with me. It stops with you. And that's a very, very powerful statement to make to a world that is bent on retribution. If any of you read the, uh, the newspaper this morning, uh, you might have picked up a little story there about road rage in Auckland. A, a man ended up in hospital because simply because somebody cut them off. They started doing fists at each other out the window. They stopped at the lights. One guy jumped out. The other guy jumped up to, to meet his challenge, and he got, got punched, fell over, cracked skull in hospital. So there you go. If somebody had just simply pulled in the anger a little bit, somebody wouldn't have ended up in hospital. That's what we're talking about. And so when we're talking about this pulling back and holding back from an eye for an eye or a tooth from a tooth, um, it does something for your soul. And the question probably that I could ask today is as a result of your Christian faith, are you getting bitter or better uh, for all the things that are going on in your life? Because you will get better as a human being if you do it Jesus' way. You'll become bitter as a human being if you're not processing forgiveness in and through your life on an ongoing basis. You see, forgiveness isn't an event. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. Why is it a lifestyle? Because all of us sin all of the time. All of us let each other down all of the time. All of us um, hurt others all of the time in some little fashion one or another. And we need to practice forgiveness so that we can allow ourselves to exist in a sinful fallen world. If we're not, if we're not, then we'll always accumulate offenses against one another and that will come to a boil over point. You know, saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, is all part of the deal. So lifestyle, the lifestyle of forgiveness is really, really critical. Okay, let's have a look at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer and see how important it is there. Uh, then, this then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now where it says debts there, that word can be um, trespasses, or it could be sins. Uh, different translators argue the value of one against the other, but could easily be 
either one and it still gets the message across. Okay, what we're saying here is that as we are forgiven, we too shall forgive. And so right at the very core of what it means to be a Christian and the prayer that Jesus said we should pray is this value of forgiveness. And why is that so important to us? Because the very essence of the Christian message is built around this, isn't it? The cross where Jesus died was all about forgiveness so that he would pay a price so that we can be forgiven by God. For all the things that we have done, Jesus paid the price so that we would be forgiven. And this transaction, if you like, on the cross didn't just stop there because Jesus said that the debt that we owe God is to love one another. The debt that we owe God for the fact that we are forgiven is to love one another. And how do we love one another? Well, we love them when they're perfect. Well, that won't last very long, will it? Okay, well, it wouldn't have been my household anyway. My wife's perfect, but I'm not. So it wouldn't have worked out that way. So further on, immediately further on after the Lord's Prayer, we get it right between the eyes. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's like, oh, okay. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? How does this work? Well, this works because when you are forgiven by God and you know you are forgiven by God, your natural response is to forgive others. Okay, so when you are looking for the evidence of Christian activity in your life, you will respond to others in the same fashion that God has responded to you. Once you realize you had a revelation that you're a sinner who needs saving from yourself, you therefore are in a position to be able to say, hey, I also need to carry on this transaction, if you like, of love, where I love others who have hurt me. And we start to work on this, this whole mindset of living a life of forgiveness. You see, the thing is that we so often judge people for what they've done and we only have half the information. Or we have to realise that hurt people will hurt people. Okay, so somebody's hurting you, they may have been hurt themselves and there's just a roll-on impact here of, of what's going on in the world around us. Um, one of the, um, the challenges that we face in a world today is that hurting people seems to be a, 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 um, a pastime particularly if you're um, a politician. Yeah, there's, there's no holds barred, is there, in politics these days, which is really disappointing because people in politics give leadership at a certain level to the rest of the, the media and therefore into the public. Somebody uh, said to me some years ago, they said, Craig, you'd make a great politician. I said, I'll be a hopeless politician. And they said, why? I said, well, I'd say sorry all the time. If I did something wrong, I would admit it. Well, politicians don't do that, do they? The last thing you ever do as a politician is admit you're wrong. Somebody's just got the facts wrong. It's a, that's just a fake news or whatever it might be these days that you try to excuse yourselves from. But we live in a world where this is transacted all the time, all the way around us. And so when we as Christians come in the opposite spirit to that, 
We're making a statement. The, um, <clears throat> many of you may uh, remember a movie that was put out in 2015 called Unbroken. Anybody seen that movie? It's, by a, um, it's about a, an American athlete uh, by the name of Louis Zamperini. And he competed at the Olympics prior to World War II. Um, he got about seventh or eighth in the, what was the equivalent of the 5,000 metres. And um, <clears throat> anyway, when the, when the war started up, he became part of a bomber pilot, bomber crew. He wasn't a pilot, he was part of the crew. And they were going on a regular flight, it wasn't a bombing raid or anything, across the Pacific Ocean. And the plane broke down, landed up in the ocean, and they got into a rubber boat. And literally for weeks, him and one of the guys who survived got taken all the way towards the Solomon Islands. And there they were captured by the Japanese. The Japanese found out who this guy was and said, oh, okay, you're an Olympic athlete. You must be one of America's finest. Therefore, we will break you. And uh, he got taken on what was known as the Death March, went through Singapore, where he worked in concentration camp there as a slave. And during this time, uh, the Japanese guards really gave him a hard time. And the movie portrays that really, really well. And uh, it's, a, it's one of those movies where you sort of look through one eye as the way he was treated because it was so, so devastating. But the movie, interestingly enough, ends not where the story ends. Uh, I read the book, and the book tells, as it often does, way more about the story of this guy's life. You see, Louis came back from the war a bitter and twisted mess. He was bent on revenge. He wanted to go back to Japan or somewhere to find those who had persecuted him and do them damage. That drove him to be an alcoholic. It drove him to all but wreck his marriage. And then one day, this guy called Billy came to town, Billy Graham. And uh, his wife tried to convince him that it would be really good for him if he went to listen to this preacher. And he was like, nah, I don't want any part of that. Well, anyway, only just before he pulled out of town, she decided she could get in there. Sorry, he, he decided to go. He went there and his life was transformed as he heard the message of Christ and Christ's forgiveness. And the story in the book goes on to talk about how his life got completely transformed as he was born again. And he went on to uh, run youth camps for boys and spent his whole, the rest of his life in service to his community. which is a fantastic story. Sadly, sadly, the story ends in the movie with him just coming back as a guy who was unbroken by his captors. And so the reason why I say this is because we are surrounded by people who only know a portion of this story in their own lives. We, can, we will all suffer troubles. Jesus said, you will know trouble. Okay, he promised us that you will know trouble in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so our part in this whole process of being Christian is our ability to forgive, but also when we do something wrong, to initiate that process by owning up to the fact that we've done something wrong. Now, many of you <clears throat> may remember a TV series, uh, I think it was back in the 70s or 80s, and if you weren't born then, you may have seen it since. It's called Happy Days. 
Anybody, you guys heard of Happy Days? Yeah? No? Yeah? You're missing out, all right? Because I'm going to ask a question and you'll see how much, you guys will see how much you're missing out, you young folks. Okay, there was a really cool guy in Happy Days, rode a motorbike, always had a black T-shirt on, okay, loved fast cars, was a bit of a hit with the girls, and his name was? See, you're missing out. You didn't know that, you're missing out. The Fonz, okay? The Fonz was cool. The Fonz was super cool, okay? Everybody loved the Fonz, and everybody wanted to be loved by the Fonz because he was so cool. Um, But the Fonz had a problem. The Fonz was never wrong, okay? I've got a, um, a little clip here that shows you what I mean. I was ruined. <laughs> it's kind of stuck in my throat there, yeah, stuck in my throat. Ralph, look. I was ruined. <laughs> I was not. I was ruined. <laughs> Ralph, I was ruined. <laughs> I was not exactly right. Yeah, but I want to tell you something. I still don't think I did anything wrong. Say that. Yeah, but what I really want to say is that I am very, uh, Susan. <laughs> Richie, I am sincerely Susan. Font, you don't have to say you're sorry. Good, I won't. Well, Doc, uh, it's got to be my f- f- Yeah, you know, you were, uh, <laughs> usual, you're very rude. Now, the thing is that uh, there is a very big chance that uh, yesterday I might have been rude. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that it's, it's very possible that I was rude. <laughs> Cunningham, wrong, yeah. I gotta tell you, I, I really know that I was rude. <laughs> What I'm trying to say is that I, I absolutely admit that I was. No, Fonz, we were both. So the whole thing was my. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm really. <laughs> <laughs> I just made a. <laughs> <laughs> out of myself in front of everybody. Fonz, it's all part of life, not mine. Thank you very much. Yeah, you can help yourself a little bit when you say you're wrong. You might say. Well, I didn't realize the full story. Um, Therefore, I made a mistake. And I got it. But the whole deal is that we need to give others room to forgive us when we make a mistake. And that begins by saying, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. If I'd known, I could have done better. Or whatever it means in your family or your workplace to say that. It is really, really important and really helpful. <clears throat> Paul said also that we should bear with each other and forgive another if, uh, sorry, another, if any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgives. And, uh, and I, I didn't comment on this previous scripture. It says, um, uh, get rid of bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
Now, we can read through this scripture quite lightly and go, oh, okay. But let's see what's going on here in the Ephesian church. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, that would be a fun church to hang out with, wouldn't it? Eh? What happened today? Oh, a couple of deacons had a brawl. It was awesome. You know, the guy that won last week, well, he got a hiding this week, but they're working on forgiveness. The reason why I say this or raise this scripture is because forgiveness has transformed societies. And he was the starting place in the Ephesian church. Malice, anger, brawling, really brawling. Come on, you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. It's just wild times. We had this impression that because the early church was so close to Jesus that you could, you know, that he was sort of still vibrating in the air there in a way that was so immediate that you think that the church was perfect. It wasn't. It was far from it. The more that you read about the early church, these folks came from way back. They started with very little understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. It was all about yourself. It was all about defending your territory. And so we see the impact of, of what the Christian message has done to our society. New Zealand society has been radically transformed by the gospel. If we roll the clock back 200 years to 1814, when the missionaries first came to New Zealand with the Christian message on, on Christmas Day, New Zealand was uh, a no-go area as far as the travellers of the day were concerned. It was a place that you went to at the risk of your life because people had been murdered in their ships as they'd come to New Zealand. The Boyd Massacre, 1809. Uh, basically, the whole crew was wiped out. So people never went there. So when Samuel Marsden arrived up in Northland with, uh, with the, the permission of a couple of locals, he was taking his life into his own hands. And two Christian chiefs, Tepahi and Ruatara, became people who became his emissaries for the gospel. And the gospel started to get traction in New Zealand. And it was deemed to be the, the most successful mission endeavor of centuries because of the amount of people who became Christians. And one of the most powerful events that happened was when the uh, Napui tribe up in Northland had sent a raiding party out some years before down towards Wellington to the Kapiti Island, Kapiti Coast area and had brought back literally thousands of slaves to not only work for them, but for them to eat. That was sort of what you did. You work, you didn't work hard enough, you got eaten. And so when people were taken away as slaves, it was expected that they would never return. But the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, became prevalent and the chiefs got converted and their response, their response to Jesus was to let all these slaves go. So you literally had thousands of people walking the North Island down to their homeland, telling the story of what had happened to them. And why were you released? Because, because of Jesus. And the story went way ahead of the missionaries. In fact, when the missionaries went down the east coast of the North Island, they record in their journals of coming into villages that had never seen white people before, white missionaries, and here these folks were in their gardens singing Christian songs. And they're like, how did that happen? Well, 
the locals had told the story of Jesus and these folks had become Christians long before the missionaries had ever arrived. So they replaced what's called utu, which is revenge, for forgiveness. And forgiveness was deemed to be the more masculine thing to do. That was the challenge. Why? Because they were doing their Christianity up close and personal. They recognised that this was a journey of the soul. To simply pay back somebody with violence was the easier way. To forgive was to be more of a man in this situation. And so that's exactly what happened. New Zealand's had a significant change over centuries because of the gospel. And so, therefore, when we read in the, in the um, Ephesian letter about how Paul is saying, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every kind of malice, he could have just as easily been saying that to New Zealand culture 200 years ago. And this new church that was being formed, he could have said to the, the, the tribes at the time, he said, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, and brawling, and slander. You see how it works? And operate in forgiveness. That's the complete reversal of what people feel is the natural thing to do. And here it is, it lands right in front of us, this forgiveness. Because it says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What's being said here is that when you are in worship, when you stand praying, so when you come to do business with God, don't have bitterness, don't have anger building up in your soul. Because this is what keeps you away from having a right relationship with God. You're not going to have a right relationship with God if you have bad thoughts towards somebody, if somebody's living rent-free in your head. Yeah? Rent-free in your head. And they can live rent-free in your head for decades. In fact, they can live rent-free in your head long after they have died because you allow them to. This third kidney that I spoke about, it does exist, but it's in a spiritual form, and it's called forgiveness. It's called, it's called forgiveness, and it's because um, in the middle of it is that word give. You give it away. You give away the pain. You give away the bitterness. It doesn't necessarily mean that instantly you're going to be fixed overnight, but if you practice forgiving, practice that again and again, you'll find that it's like a, like a, a rock. You grind it down slowly. You grind it down slowly, and you are healed as a result of it. As they say, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. And so for all of us to be a Christian community together, we need to have forgiveness functioning within our lives. If we don't have forgiveness functioning within our lives, we play a game of pretend. See, if I don't have the capacity to forgive, I have to pretend that I've never had anything wrong done to me, and I have to pretend that I've never done anything wrong, which is just what? Some sort of plastic community that has no reality, no, no, no substance to it. It's just a game that we play for God. So the ability to forgive means that I have the ability to be human, to make mistakes, to be forgiven, and to forgive. In that process, 
I am transformed. In that process, you are transformed. For all of us, this is the core of the Christian message. This is what separates us out from any other faith. And this is what makes our faith so dynamic and transformative to the societies in which we are a part of. Because we have the ability to forgive because we are forgiven. So, the stock take, as we roll into the next decade, I I just want us to be able to take this one with us. It's nothing I can do for you. It's nothing anybody else can do for you. It's something that only you can do with God. Only you can do. You can't buy it. You can't exchange something for it. You can't earn it. But you can apply it. Apply what God has already given you and allow that to become a healing ointment in your life and in the lives of those around you. So I'm just going to um, give you a little bit of time here. I'd just like you just to um, bow your heads, close your eyes. There's a place, we all have a place where we go to in our heads, in our minds, when, um, when everything is relaxed, when all the work is done, when all the visitors have gone home, And somewhere in that quiet place, there may be someone who's hurt you and it just continues to get at you. You wish that memory would go away. You wish those thoughts would go away. But they continue to play on your imagination. The reason I describe that is to normalise it because you might think you're the only one who suffers that. But this is part of our human condition. And God wants you to work on forgiveness. Maybe you feel, hey, I've already forgiven them once, twice, three times. Jesus said 70 times seven, and he didn't mean 490, he just meant just keep on doing it. The end result is that your soul is healed. You can't affect another person, but you can affect what's going on in your own head and heart. And that's what counts. So I'm gonna pray. And then the team is gonna lead us in a song. God, we, um, we all know what that's being spoken about today. It's um, something very dear to all of us. Every one of us have been um, hurt at some point, either intentionally or unintentionally. And we've hurt others intentionally or unintentionally. And for this reason, I'm sure you say to us, welcome to the human race. But Lord, I thank you that you've broken into our world, recognizing that we can't live with this sense of anger or frustration or hurt or pain towards individuals or a group of people. We can't live with that, it's not good for us. 
we're not even really going to have even a halfway decent life if that's what we have to contend with. And so you've broken in and not only have you healed the relationship that exists between each of us, sorry, between us and you, but you allow us to heal the relationships between one another. In fact, you you ask us to, to treat that as a matter of importance because we've been forgiven we also have the capacity to forgive others and so God we take that person or that situation that comes to our attention and we we just put that person or that situation out there and we ask Lord that we will forgive them And we begin the process of healing, of evicting that person from our mind's eye, to win back the peace that you've told us our soul can experience. For all of us, Lord, these things are, are personal, they're real, and um, and sometimes they just seem so big, but promised us Lord that you'd heal them and so Lord we, we just we just don't want to wake up on the 1st of January 2020 and have this big sack full of of pain and hurt to greet us on that day we want to be able to begin this process of leaving it all behind to seize the opportunity to take hold of your promises that we would have life and have life abundantly So Father, heal us as we uh, work towards forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.